everyone. Welcome back to the Real Normal Podcast. Your host here, Lord Rickmansworth. Great to be back with you and actually feel, you know, kind of a little bit more upbeat today, a little bit more energised. Quite happy to see that Rishi Sunak has come out and seems to be tugging in the opposite direction to Boris. Could he be our next Prime Minister? Is that what we're looking at? Ooh, you tell me, matron. But also a few excellent articles coming out in the moment. Fraser Nelson in The Telegraph battering number 10 for not being able to challenge Sage and actually coming up with a really nice, actual balanced, even-handed look at what's going on. And I just want to read you the last couple of paragraphs in his article in The Telegraph dated 25th September 2020. So he finishes. The situation abroad does seem to be stabilising. The virus stopped growing in Spain at the end of August, according to the Carlos III Public Health Institute. Mr Whitty's graph, showing an ongoing rise in Spain, seems to be the product of a methodological flaw. And believe me, guys, I've just recorded that line four times. In France, too, there are signs things are coming back under control. If so, it would soothe some nerves in London. The now famous Valence Surge, a graph presented by Sir Patrick Valence on Monday, showing infections hitting 50,000 by the end of the month. And if it carries on like that, I think we'll all be dead by Christmas. That's me putting that in there. That, was, that wasn't Mr Nelson. Um, vividly depicted the worst case scenario. But every day it will be clearer if Britain is indeed following this trajectory or if we're on a journey closer to that of Spain or France. If the valence surge comes to pass, the PM will have done well to tighten restrictions. If things don't look so bad, then there'll be scope for him to relax, as Belgium is doing now, and we'll come to that in a sec. We ought to know within weeks, not months. His new restrictions are mild by earlier standards. Pubs have been asked to close early, but not close completely. Workers are encouraged, but not instructed, to work from home. We haven't yet been advised not to use public transport. This looks more like a holding pattern, buying time until things become clearer. There are plenty around the Prime Minister who urge far greater lockdown in the light of this Armageddon scenario, but he is resisting, and this is something we haven't had for quite a while. An encouraging sign. After weeks of flailing, he just might be getting back on the front foot. So, I mean, I don't 100% agree in Fraser Nelson there, but, you know, it's nice to see that people are kind of just seeing the old glimpse of light coming through at the moment. This might be a good thing. And let's face it, guys... If infections continue to go up, which is what's going to happen if we increase testing, but deaths stay low, after a while that is going to be an uncontestable thing. You won't be able to say, oh, um, deaths have stayed low because of lockdown, because then you could point to the infection rates rising like mad. And really good news coming out of Belgium as well. This is in the Brussels Times. So from October the 1st, face masks will only be mandatory in crowded places, as well as on public transport and in cinemas. And this is what they said, it is useless to make masks compulsory any time anywhere so that's really really good to hear nice to hear that they're sorting that out and for private gatherings the maximum number of guests remains at 10 this also re- applies to gatherings in the street so more than six to be honest i don't think i've got enough mates to have 10 round <laughs> i'll just be sat there on my own again with uh, don and midge who by the way aren't here at the moment uh, i am going to be recording with them over the weekend at our local pub midge is presenting to us i think this week uh, the similarities between what's going on at the moment and 1984 which when I spoke to him on the phone last night I actually said to him and I'm going to make the I'm going to say this to you now I've not read 1984 and I said to him on the phone yesterday mate I've I've not read it so I don't know if this is going to go very well and he went oh don't worry it's really boring anyway So, but we'll see, we'll see what it's like. I think it was one of those books that he had to really thrash through uh, to get to the end of it. He might be a little bit like me. When you start reading a book and you realise after about 30 pages, this is shit. 
that you just don't stop reading because there's something inside you that says, no, I will continue. I will not stop. Another thing they're doing at the moment, uh, they can have indoor audiences, 200 people for indoor events and 400 for outdoor ones. And on top of that, the quarantine period will be reduced from 14 days to one week. Um, And this is from a country that is, you know, it's done really badly. Had a a massively tight lockdown. They've had masks everywhere. They've had um, curfews, all this stuff. They've really, really gone for it. And basically, they haven't been able to stop it spreading. So they've realised, look, we cannot legislate for a disease. That's just impossible. It's unrealistic. So we might as well slowly start to open our economy again. Um, And now that they're doing that, we've got Germany as well. And of course, we've got Sweden. Although there's been some worrying signs from Sweden maybe doing some mini local lockdowns. But guys, if you actually look into it, it's nothing compared to what we've been doing over here. They're talking like maximum of two weeks where people have to wear masks on a bus or something like that. I mean, it's like, come on. They're not shutting pubs down left, right and centre and systematically destroying their economy. So there's some good news coming out. Um, Also, another thing I've noticed as well, there's a bit of a backbench rebellion going on at the moment where they've started calling Valance and uh, Mr Witty like silly names like Unbalanced and Witless. Which is funny enough, almost what we were calling them earlier on in the podcast in episode 8. Which if you haven't listened to, go back to that and you can hear us tear them a new arsehole when it comes to their ridiculous crap they were spouting out on Monday. With uh, with their prediction that's not a prediction, even though it's not happened yet. So if you ask me, that sounds to me like the definition of what a prediction is. Uh, but there we go. <laughs> It's just, it is just rather funny. Anyway, before we get to the main crux of today's little mini podcast, uh, which is going to be reading out the amazing letter that Carol Sakura uh, sent to the government, signed by literally loads of scientists next to it. Uh, I'll be reading that out for you in full in a minute. I actually just want to read out some of the emails that we've received from our listeners. And it's great that we're actually receiving any. I'll be honest with you, I was shocked when we first received an email from someone. And if you want to email us yourself, you can email us here. Here, the real normal podcast at gmail.com. That's the real normal podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at real normal pod. I got a nasty letter the other day from all these scientists. I wish they'd go away. My missus is even on holiday. What do I do? I don't know. Maybe I should ring up Rishi See if he can solve this problem for me Well, I think you will find Bozzy, that's you um, That I actually want your job, you see I'm the Chancellor Especially when you're ruining the economy And now you're trying to put it onto your Rishi Your little Rishi Your little Rishi Your little Rishi your little wishy, your little wishy, your little wishy. Wishy, please help me. Oh, God, where's my pants gone? So we got a great email from Jeremy in West Wales. He says, love the podcast, really like the songs. <laughs> Cheers, mate. That's a bit of fun for me. Please release them, he says, before they escape. Can I donate? Oh, man. What, donate to uh, Stop Me Singing on songs? Is that what you want to do? He goes on, it's interesting how New Zealand was lauded as executing the perfect response to COVID back in April. They locked down quickly and prevented the spread. Now the reality of COVID-19 is emerging and that isolated petri dish in the South Pacific, 1,000 kilometres from anywhere, is probably in the least enviable position in any country. 
I was in New Zealand March 22nd to July the 8th. The one-month lockdown in April was a price the vast majority of Kiwis were prepared to pay in order to rid, he says in inverted commas, the country of their relatively few cases. Unfortunately, we now know the policy imposed by St. Jacinda Ardhern's Labour government, God, I hate saying her name, it's really difficult, was an epidemi... (laughs) Was an epidemi... (laughs) trying to say it. Was an epidemiological dud. There we go, I've got it in the end, guys. COVID-19 will never go away as it has become globally endemic like the flu. The best Kiwis can hope for is a vaccine which will reduce the death rate when finally COVID-19 is allowed to spread through the population. Until then, New Zealand will have to remain closed to visitors and in a constant state of alert, one cluster away from another local lockdown. The 20 billion foreign tourism market is all but dead. Their economy is in recession and unemployment will continue to soar once the wage subsidies end in October. After St Jacinda wins the general election next month, I only see a doubling down on the repressive measures which our government regards as having been successful. I've put off my February plans to return and visit New Zealand until 2022 at the latest. I fear for the state of the country by then. Keep up the good work. Jeremy in West Wales. Jeremy, thanks very much, mate. And also he sent us some lovely pictures through of New Zealand. He sent us a great photo. He's been out on a bike ride. He's looking over this sort of deserted riverbed with the mountain glacier going off into the distance on a lovely sunny day. Thanks ever so much for that email, Jeremy. Uh, I'll keep it close to my heart. We also had an email from a guy called Matt. He said, just a quick message to say how pleased I was to find your brilliant podcast. After following lockdown sceptics, Hitchens, Dellingpole, Sumption, etc. Since the early days of this ludicrous saga, trying to keep myself sane whilst the world has gone completely mad, it was such a pleasure to hear a familiar voice of reason when I came across your podcast via the link in Lockdown Skeptics. I'm just hoping this lunacy will end soon. I'm trying to resist the urge to believe in the more sinister possibilities about what's really behind it all, but that's becoming harder by the day. I keep asking myself, can the government really be this incompetent? Yes, they can. And I'm not sure if they can. They, they definitely can, Matt. Uh, Matt finishes, keep up the good work. Matt, what I definitely want to say to you is the fact that everything that's happening at the moment, I believe, is just a mistake. And personally, I don't really think it helps our our lockdown sceptical view to go along the old 5G Piers Corbyn thing, even though I would defend his right to protest to the end. But there we go. We also had a veterinary doctor get hold of us. We also had a doctor get hold of us, a Dr. Bush. Now, I need to tell you that he is a doctor of animals, so otherwise known as a vet. (laughs) But listen to what he's got to say. Very much enjoyed the podcast. Keep up the good work. One aspect I'd like to address, though, viral attenuation. And I think he's referring back to uh, a rant I did last week. This is indeed a well-established observation. But in this particular instance, there has been little evidence of significant genetic change in the RNA sequence. The falling death rate can simply be explained by the seasonality of respiratory viruses and the forest fire analogy. We've had several years of mild flu seasons, so the number of susceptible slash vulnerable individuals was high in March. The virus wiped out this population pretty effectively as it circulated through the population. Now there is very little dry tinder, as he puts it, for it to decimate. There will be a small rise in deaths over the coming months as the virus prefers cooler temperatures, we crowd indoors and a new cohort of the population ages and moves into a susceptible category. But it will be nothing like last spring. I hope this helps. Cheers. And I went back and I was like, cheers, mate. That's, you know, it's great to have people picking us up and having an adult conversation about this. This is what I love to see. And we're not really seeing this on our mainstream media at the moment. We're not seeing it anywhere else. Uh, and, And one of the things that I really want to do with this podcast, as Lord Rickmansworth, is 
keep it upbeat, keep it happy, but also be quite happy to be challenged by you, our listeners, about things that we do get wrong, because it means that you're taking it seriously, and I really, really like that you do that. I did reply to him, oi, bruv, how dare you? No, (laughs) I didn't do anything like that. Um, I just said, I'm really, really happy that you've commented that, and I found your comments very helpful. Um, And he actually replied and he said, as you can see, I'm no expert in this area. However, as part of our veterinary training, we do study viruses. Animals get coronaviruses too, you know. One other point I would like to stress is the laughable suggestion from Chris Whitless, witty last night, that only 6 to 8% of the population is immune. Utter bollocks, he says. How does he explain the lack of deaths in Southeast Asia other than through cross-immunity from SARS-1? Viral immunity is primarily via a T-cell response, hence no antibodies are needed. But I wouldn't expect the chief medical officer to be able to grasp this point. I could rant for hours. Kind regards... Dr. Bush. Thanks ever so much for your email there, man. It's really, really good that you've taken the time out to, to, to send that over to us. Also, Simon from Bristol reached out. He said, Hi, chaps. Thank you so much for the work you are doing to spread the message that there might be another way to think about the current crisis. For months, I felt almost completely isolated because of my opposition to the way things were done. The feeling was made much worse by the public seeming total support for the destruction of so much of what I consider important to a free society. During the summer and in desperation, I managed to find a symposium of Nobel Prize winners hosted by a scientist in Brazil, doing what none of our media outlets are doing, discussing the situation intelligently. Gradually, by scrabbling around obscure websites and publications, I discovered the voices of people like Professors Gupta, Sikora, Levitt and others who finally felt less alone. How on earth were these voices silenced? Why weren't they influencing the response? Discovering your podcast has given me hope that my opinions, apparently now shared by you, along with my sweep, my local policeman, my dishwasher repairman, members of the local cricket club, auctioneer and house clearance men to name but a few, are finally getting out there. As an actor, my livelihood appears to be in serious trouble. My wife is an administrator for a wig maker who works primarily in the West End and Broadway musicals also in serious trouble. I cannot believe that our bedrock of culture has been so readily sacrificed on the altar of COVID-19. You are doing sterling work. Thank you very much indeed. Simon in Bristol. Simon, thanks ever so much. It's terrible to hear that you felt so alone, but it's great to hear that you, you know you found you found some like-minded people online here on this podcast and also on the fantastic Lockdown Skeptics website with Mr. Toby Young and his great team. Uh, it's brilliant that you found a place to do that and it's very difficult for me to give you any kind of uplifting thing when it comes to your job because it's just impossible to say what's going on at the moment. We did get another email from someone, but I'm not going to tell you what it read or any Anything like that let's put it this way it was 100% wholly positive I was absolutely gobsmacked to open up our emails and find that this person had emailed us but all I would say is Mr Toby Young thank you ever so much for reaching out and I hope we can work together in the future to spread the anti-lockdown let's open up our economy and um, the rule of three that we've come up with over here at the Real Normal podcast one protect the elderly two, protect the sick, and three, free the people. So guys, thanks ever so much for all your emails. It's very, very nice to hear from you. Remember, you can email us over at therealnormalpodcast at gmail.com and then we'll get on to the final part of this little mini podcast where I will read out for you the full letter from Carol Sakura, signed by all those other scientists as well after this very quick break. I'm a teenager or maybe I'm early 20s Oh, I'm a uni, I see a fit bird 
and she sees me across the dance floor from two meters. Well, actually, that's what my mum and dad told me it was like. It was right, that because boy. Because now I don't know what it's like to call anymore. Bit of finger in the told by my mum and dad that we would always get on the dance floor and dance. But I don't know what a dance floor is. Is it a version of Zoom where you kiss the screen or something? I want to take your baby. Control alt delete. I want to kiss your baby. Hashtag. I want to cuddle your baby. Backspace. But I can't cause we're crazy. That was what it was like before COVID came up and fucked up our lives. And that's what I was told when I checked out what life was on Wikipedia. Right then, guys, so without further ado, and I'm only doing this really because, I mean, there might be some people who haven't seen this letter, but I just think it's really important that people hear this letter and what it's trying to say, because it's from a scientist who has a bit of balance. He's not just thinking about his own particular area of science. He's actually thinking about the economy, people's lives, and what's happening to his country. This is fantastic, and it's really going to be the start of a sea change, I think, in how our government thinks about this. And I think after this letter as well, uh, Carol Sakura and the scientists actually did get a meeting with Boris. A little bit of a glimpse of hope. Let's, let's have a bit of a hopeful day today, guys, even though the weather is shocking out there. Right then, so... Here we go. Let me put on my voice of letter thing. All right, here we go. The Right Honourable Boris Johnson, MP, Prime Minister. The Right Honourable Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer. Professor Chris Whitty, CMO England. Dr Frank Atherton, CMO Wales. Dr Gregor Ian Smith, CMO Scotland. Dr Michael McBride, CMO Northern Ireland. Dr Patrick Valance, Government Chief Scientific Advisor. Subject a targeted and evidence-based approach to the COVID-19 policy response, an open letter, 21st of September, 2020. Dear Prime Minister, Chancellor, CMOs and Chief Scientific Advisor, We are writing with the intention of providing constructive input into the choices with respect to the COVID-19 policy response. We also have several concerns regarding aspects of the existing policy choices that we wish to draw your attention to. In summary, our view is that the existing policy path is inconsistent with the known risk profile of COVID-19 and should be reconsidered. The unstated objective currently appears to be one of suppression of the virus until such a time that a vaccine can be deployed. This objective is increasingly unfeasible, notwithstanding our more specific concerns regarding existing policies, and is leading to significant harm across all age groups which likely offset any benefits. Instead, more targeted measures that protect the most vulnerable from COVID, whilst not adversely impacting those not at risk, are more supportable. Given the high proportion of COVID deaths in care homes, these should be a priority. Such targeted measures should be explored as a matter of urgency, as the local cornerstone of our future strategy. In addition to this overarching point, we append a set of concerns regarding the existing policy choices which we hope will be received in the spirit in which they are intended. We are mindful that the current circumstances are challenging and that all policy decisions are difficult ones. Moreover, many people have sadly lost loved ones to COVID-19 throughout the UK. Nonetheless, the current debate appears unhelpfully polarised around views that COVID is extremely deadly to all and that the large-scale policy interventions are effective. And on the other hand, those who believe COVID poses no risk at all. In light of this, and in order to make choices that increase our prospects of achieving a better outcome in the future, we think now is the right time to step back and fundamentally reconsider the path forward. 
specific comments on the existing policy path. We then have the signatories of all the guys who've got on board with this. It's well over 20 professors, scientists, people who are professors of economics, professors of immunology, cardiology, oncology, sociology, all the ologies. They're just there. Bacteriologies even there. There's probably a few ologies there that I've never even heard of. They go on to say specific comments on the existing policy path. There should be a clearly stated objective for the overall response to COVID-19. Without this, neither the overarching strategy nor individual policy choices within it can be evaluated. At the time of the initial major policy interventions, the March 23rd lockdown, the objective was primarily framed around flatten the curve and protect the NHS. For some time, however, there has been an absence of a similarly clearly articulated objective. I said that right the first time, by the way, guys. I'm pretty proud of that. Any objective should be framed more broadly than COVID itself. To place all weight on reducing deaths from COVID fails to consider the complex trade-offs that occur. One, within any healthcare system, and two, between healthcare, society, and the economy. They go on for their next point here. Individual policy choices within the strategy should be informed by an evidence base. The absence of similar policy interventions to those now being implemented in the past, coupled with the novel nature of the virus, means there is limited existing empirical evidence to inform the effectiveness of said measures. This means most weight should be placed on 1. Analysing what is actually occurring in relation to the outcomes we are targeting and 2. Metrics that can be most accurately measured and reported and 3. Robust evaluations of interventions imposed to ensure they deliver actual benefits. We are therefore concerned about the sole reliance on case numbers and the R to inform national and local policies as these metrics are subject to significant measurement and interpretation challenges. And further, neither is an outcome that matters to society. How important is that? How important is that? The most pertinent epidemiological feature of COVID-19 is a greatly varying mortality risk by demographic. Mortality risk is highly age variant, with 89% of COVID mortalities in the over 65s. Mortality risk is also concentrated in those with pre-existing medical conditions, 95% of COVID deaths. This large variation in risk by age and health status suggests that the harm caused by uniform policies that apply to all persons will outweigh the benefits. Blanket COVID policy interventions likely have large costs because any adverse effects impact the entire population. These include one, short and long-term physical and mental health impacts and two, social and economic impacts. And then they just do a subheading for this. In relation to health, the impact on cancer is especially acute. Two-week weight cancer referrals have decreased 84% during lockdown. The impact of this alone has been estimated to be an additional 1,200 cancer deaths over 10 years. 23,000 life years lost. Cancer Research UK estimated there were 2 million delayed or missed cancer screenings, tests or treatments. The impact of this border disruption is uncertain. However, estimates indicate that it could be as high as 60,000 lives lost. In terms of the economy, the OBR's forecast are for unemployment to reach 11.9% by Q4 2020. As of July, 2020 net debt has risen to 2 trillion for the first time and public sector net debt is expected to be 106.4% of GDP at the end of the year. 
Set against the high cost of these policies, their effectiveness in reducing COVID deaths remains unclear. Focusing on the UK, there is no readily observable pattern between the policy measures implemented to date and the profile of COVID deaths. Caution should therefore be exercised in any presumption that such policy measures will successfully lower future COVID mortalities. In light of the above, our strategy should therefore target interventions to protect those more at risk. For example, Germany's case fatality rate among patients over 70 is the same as most European countries. However, its effective reduction in deaths is based around successful strategy of limiting infections in those older than 70. Finally, behavioural interventions that seek to increase the personal threat perception of COVID should be reconsidered, as they likely contribute to adverse physical and mental health impacts beyond COVID. Consideration should also be given to whether policies that are intended to reassure may in fact reinforce a heightened perception of risk. Providing the public with objective information on the actual risk they face from COVID-19 by age and health status would be preferable. And there you go, that's the letter sent to our cabinet. I'm going to read out the four authors. I'm not going to read out the signatories because there's so many of them. Um, The authors were Professor Sanetra Gupta, Professor of Theoretical Ed... Oh, fucking Christ. (laughs) Professor of... (laughs) It's so hard to read, isn't it? Here we go. Deep breath, everyone. Professor of Theoretical Epidemiology, the University of Oxford... Professor Carl Hennigan, Director, Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine, the University of Oxford. Professor Carol Sakura, Consultant Oncologist and Professor of Medicine, University of Buckingham. Sam Williams, Director and Co-Founder of Economic Insight. So there are the authors. And if you wanted me to read out the signatories, we'd probably be here all day. But I'd be saying the word professor a lot and doctor a lot, okay? And then the old ologies would be coming back in too. So there you go. That's their letter. I thought it would just be handy for you guys to, to hear that. Um, it would be great to hear via the emails what you think about that. We'll pick some of them out for you. Also, if you get a second, pop over to our Twitter and try and find the post that we put up. Uh, which horseman of the apocalypse are you? Screenshot it, send it to your mates and see if they can find out which horseman of the apocalypse they are as well. I'll give you a little bit of a hint. There's only two horsemen, okay? <laughs> and I think you know who they're going to be. Anyway, thanks ever so much for listening to today's mini sort of podcast. I'll be recording with the boys, Midge and Don, uh, over the weekend at our local pub with a lovely pint, hopefully of tribute. I do love a pint of tribute. And we're not sponsored by anyone, don't get us wrong there. We, we hardly have any listeners, so I wouldn't worry about that. But I do like a pint of tribute. I will say that again. So have a great weekend, guys, uh, and we will speak to you early next week with any luck if I can sort of slot all this in with my normal life and daily work um, and stay safe and all that sort of stuff. Chin up, try and enjoy yourselves, try and do something that you enjoy. But at the same time, make sure you spread the word a little bit as well. But do it in a nice way. Thanks ever so much for listening, guys, and I'll see you in the next podcast. Podcast.